Hello, Bulldogs. Thank you for tuning in to Who's Behind the Bulldog, Arvada High School's community interview podcast series. I'm your host and one of the assistant principals at Arvada, Jeremy Jensen. Each week, I'll sit down with someone from our Arvada community, be it staff, students, families, or other community members, to hear their stories. We'll discuss their histories, successes, challenges, learnings, future hopes and dreams, and much more. I hope you find some connections in their stories and hopefully are inspired to take some time to get to know them a bit better as our school year progresses. We have an amazing community here at Arvada, and I hope we can continue to strengthen that despite the challenges that await us in these unknown times. Hello, Bulldogs. This week's guest is World Language and Student Council Facilitator, Kayla Castorina. Hear Kayla talk about how she prioritizes making connections with students and providing them with a caring heart. She discusses her origins in El Paso, Texas, and how Color Guard eventually led her to a profession that never bores her, teaching. She also talks about some terrific engagement strategies and what she's learned in the remote setting works best for students to provide consistency and let them know that she cares. She also talks about her excitement for the dual language program for next school year. Thanks as always for listening to this week's episode of Who's Behind the Bulldog. Kayla, hello, and thank you so much for joining me today for Who's Behind the Bulldog. Thank you, Jeremy. I'm very happy to, to have my, my opportunity. percent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to talk with you. Um, tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what brought you into education. So a little bit about myself. I grew up in El Paso. Well, I actually was born in El Paso, Texas, and, but I grew up in Ciudad Juarez, which is right at the border in Mexico and the United States. And I feel very lucky now that I've, you know that that all these years have passed that I was I was able to grow up in that environment because I grew up I feel like my roots were very ingrained in Mexico with my family because both my parents are Mexican and then when I came into when I started high school and then I did all my college in El Paso so I was able to learn English at a very young age but I was also my whole elementary school was done in Mexico. So then my first language became really strong. So then when I, when we moved to the United States, I was able to learn English and then my university I did in English. So that really helped me education wise. What brought me to education was when I was in high school and I was thinking about what I wanted to do, I had no idea when I, what I wanted to do. Then my first semester in college, I wanted to become a therapist. I was taking therapy myself. So then I just really, I saw a lot of benefit from it. So then I thought, this is something that I could do as a career. So I want to become a psychologist. Well, when I went in and inquired about it at UTEP in my university, they told me that they didn't offer that degree. And I was surprised because they only did offer psychiatry and I didn't want to be a psychiatrist. I wanted to be a psychologist. So then I'm like, okay, I guess I have to find another option. I went into um, graphic design for a semester or two, almost two semesters. And that didn't really caught my attention. I love art and I always, I wanted more of the visual art, but then, you know, when sometimes you talk to your family or your friends and they're like, you're never gonna make any money doing that, you know, that type of stuff. So um, then I was thinking, well, what else could I do? I took the AP test in Spanish in high school, both tests, AP language and AP literature, and I got a five on both of them. So I had all these credits. I'm like, I need to do something with those credits because I don't want to, I don't want them to go to waste. 
And then I thought to myself, what is something that I could do that I could really do for my entire life? Something that I could really say that, you know, I'm never going to get bored. And when I was in high school, I was part of Color Guard. Color Guard is what got me into education. I, and a lot of people don't know what Color Guard is, but um, Color Guard is huge in Texas. It's so big and every high school has a really strong program. And Color Guard is just, you know, the flag girls that do their performance with the band uh, in marching band season. And then in some bigger programs, you have a season just for Color Guard. Always, I loved doing Color Guard when I was in high school. And then I got the opportunity to do drum corps, which is uh, like the big league of Color Guard. Um, Cause I did that for three summers, which is, some people don't know what it is, but um, you tour the United States with a huge band and those musicians and those performers get to really master, you know, their music. And for us color guard people, we get to really master and be more skillful at what we do because you spend the whole summer with the band. They don't like to be called the band because it's kind of like another level of, of music standard, but it was just such a huge experience for me. I loved it. And you spend almost three months with, with this group, just touring the United States and performing at different universities. And when I did that, I was offered a position to coach at my high school. So I did that for 11 years. And I also started a small color guard program in the elementary that would feed off of my high school. And uh, I, I experienced so much success and I, and I loved every single minute of it. So then I thought color guard is something that I could do my entire life. And what do I need to do to become, to always be around color guard? I have to become a teacher. And because I had all those credits in, at the university from my tests, then I'm like, I can teach Spanish because I have those credits. I, I felt like I had already lost like two years in the university trying to figure out what I was going to do. So I'm like, I think the easiest way is just for me to, to use those credits, have a master's in Spanish and then teach Spanish and then be a happy color guard instructor, you know? So that's, that's essentially what got me into education. I ended up loving teaching Spanish more so, you know, cause I don't do color guard anymore, so. And you had a prediction in there that you wanted something that you wouldn't get bored at. Um, it, has that held true for you? Have you has this been a profession that you have not been bored? Yeah, no, it's it's true. I love teaching world language. It just it just gives me so much room for new things and different things. And and with language, I get to teach not just the language but culture and a lot of the other. I can connect the language with courses and other subjects. So I love that about world language. So you started off at your uh, in your old uh, high school, and you coached there for a while. What brought you to Colorado and Nevada? Oh wow, that's such a that's another story. <laughs> when um, actually, I think I wanted to change. So when I when I was living in El Paso, living in El Paso is, is pretty hard because the weather there is pretty aggressive. It gets really hot. Most of the year is hot. Um, you don't really get a lot of rain. I think, I mean, you get one, a couple of days a year of rain. No snow, like it's just, it's just very aggressive. You know, when you live on the border, it's really hard not to go to the other country because it's so close. And a lot of the dynamic of the, of the border is that way. And anybody that has been there knows this because, I mean, my mother, she, we lived in El Paso and she was working in Juarez. And so she would go back and forth every day, but, 
but that process of going back and forth is really hostile because because to go from Mexico to the United States in you know driving it's really close but the line that you have to like the the line that you have to take it's about two sometimes three hours long and you're just there sitting in your car just waiting and it's really hot and in that dynamic never changes like it, it's never less time it's usually more time that you have to sit there and wait and then to go from one country to another which they're literally just like right next to each other it's just divided by a little river and so that that whole dynamic when i got married um that was in 2011 when we got married, my husband and I, um, he was working in Juarez and I was obviously teaching in El Paso and we were both living, living in El Paso. He was going back and forth and it was getting very tiring and horrible, exhausting, that whole dynamic. And we wanted to move. So we just kind of were trying to figure out where to move because he's always been, um, he's a Mexican citizen. And so he's always been uh, all his career and everything he's done it there we were considering Mexico at some point. He's a psychologist. So he got invited to do a couple of workshops with for the Hispanic community here in Colorado. And I have a couple of distance relatives here. And, um, you know, we would come ever so often and he loved Colorado. And I always liked it because I had a couple, of, I, I, knew, I knew Colorado because I have a little bit of family here. So um, I always liked it and, and he just fell in love with Colorado. And the moment he's like, I would move to Colorado. I'm like, let's do it. Let's, let's go to Colorado. We need to get out of this crazy border. And that's how we did it. And you found Arvada right away, 11 years ago or in 2011, or did it take you some time to find Arvada? No, it actually took me a while. Um, in 2011, we got married, but we, we lived in El Paso for two years. Then we moved to, to Colorado. We moved to Colorado in 2000, December 2013, and it took me a while to find a teaching position. And when we moved from El Paso, I wasn't really sure that I wanted to continue in high school. I had a, a rough experience in El Paso teaching high school. I loved it, but I still, it was kind of rough. Um, so then I'm like, I'm going to try, I can try something new. Uh, I have a, my teaching license is from K through 12. So then I'm like, okay, maybe I can try elementary and see how that goes. So then I got hired in DPS for Ashley Elementary and elementary school. So I taught second grade in an ELA class, which is a bilingual class, you know, English and Spanish. And I did not think I was going to finish out the year. It was so hard. <laughs> I could not, I thought I could do it. And the little kids just always, always were too energetic for me they were oh they always out energized me <laughs> <laughs> they are so hyper all the like from 7 30 to 4 30 they're always like what? and i just couldn't keep up with them and i just didn't think i would finish out the year so um come like just right at the semester when the, the second semester started in january i'm looking desperately for jobs and we my husband and i already lived in nevada so i'm looking and looking and looking desperately trying to get out of an elementary school and trying to move closer to to home because my commute was like 40 minutes and those no days and everything it was I mean I wasn't used to it and I I did not enjoy it but it was more of the environment of just the you know I, I knew I wasn't fit for elementary school so then I was looking for high school I applied to to multiple places and and when I saw Arvada I was very excited because it was close to me 
And then I looked into the website and I just thought, oh my God, this is a beautiful school. I just want to be there. And, and I got hired here. So then I was very excited. I was very excited when I got to Arvada. Great. Well, lucky for us. Uh, what, and what keep, keeps you coming back? What do you love about Arvada? Oh my goodness. I love Arvada so much. I think our school is so special. Um, who gets to say that they teach at a school that's been open and running uh, for over a hundred years? I mean, I think, I think that is so special for us. I think that I embrace that a lot because I think that there's so much that's that we there's so much in our shoulders from from just all this history that you know that that just lives in our building and knowing that you know our school keeps getting better and better it just makes me feel so excited and and happy to be there and be part of you know the changes that we're making and um i love everybody in our building everybody's so nice and kind and 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 everybody i i feel like most of the teachers there most of the teachers here at arvada really are truly in the profession because they love to teach and i think that there's no better place to be in where you see people that are so committed to their profession i definitely agree with that um what are some things kayla that you're particularly proud of in your time so far at arvada i know you're involved with so much and um, so the, I'm sure you have tons of things that you could potentially say, but from your own perspective, what are you most proud of? You'd be surprised when I was looking at this question, I'm like, oh my goodness, let me think about this one. Um, I am, I'm, I'm definitely very proud of some of the work that I've done with PBL. Um, I know that I was one of the first ones that took a shot at it when we first brought it to the building. And, uh, I just kind of took a project and ran with it and made it, you know, made it, uh, tried to make it the way that it was supposed to be. It wasn't perfect, but I, I felt a lot of success from it and the feedback that I got from, from the kids about how they felt and the whole process, you know, behind it and just the presentation with a panel, it just took it to a whole different level. So very, very soon in our, in our PBL process and our, at our school process, I, I found that PBL was, was the best thing for our kids because just, on how I saw them, when you see them standing there presenting to a panel, they just turn into this other young lady and young man, you know, and they they take it so seriously and they really, they want to do good. And when they do, they come out of there feeling so proud. And if they don't, they they learn so much from it. And then you give them another opportunity to do it and then they rise to the occasion and then, and then they shine and it's just wonderful. So PBL has been one of my um, one of my successes. I feel like at Arvada, and I've I've been enjoying it a lot. Um, and I could also say um, being involved with student with student council has been one of my uh, my successes too. I feel even though uh, a lot of the things that we've done haven't been perfect, um, not that they could ever probably be perfect, but just getting having having to work with those kids that are so self-motivated and wanting to do so much for the school inspires me to do better for them you know because they love Arvada our kids love Arvada and they wanted they want their school to shine they want to shine and they want to do everything that they can to make it shine and um, a lot of the things that we were able to do last year with Stuco was was one of one of my uh, biggest accomplishments that I felt that being part of it really made me feel proud. 
that's awesome. And you should feel very proud about uh, both of those things. And I love, I love seeing the ideas that the Stuco comes up with because they're very creative people. And I think that they want our school to succeed just as much, if not more than a lot of, um, you know, other people that are involved in, in the school. And uh, it's so great to see their ideas come to life. So keep it up. Do you have any uh, go-to engagement strategies, things that you find in your classroom just like really help students uh, get motivated to learn Spanish? Yeah, I wrote this down. Let me see where I wrote it down. Because um, some of these questions are like, you really have to think through. You don't want to kind of just say whatever, you know? hundred <laughs> percent. They're, they're designed <laughs> to go deep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so go to where did I write that? Stupid. Okay. Um, it was the second question under the where you are section, like bringing, bringing learning to life or yep. I found it. I even put little numbers on them to make sure. Um, so my go, my go to, I think one of the, so I have a few, I think that building relationships with the kids is a big one. I think that um, taking the time to really talk to the students, taking the time to really see how they're doing. Um, yes, you are giving up a little bit of time of instruction, but once you take that, you know, maybe five, maybe 10, maybe 15 minutes out of your classroom to talk to the student. And then you figure out what's really going on and they, they are able to open up with you and tell you, you know, uh, that they need support here or, the, or that they don't know how to do something. And sometimes it's something that's not even related to your class, but they're struggling in another area and they're able to seek help with you just by that one-on-one -on -one interaction. I think it's totally worth it to, to have spent you know, X amount of minutes with that student because then, then that student is going to be on your side of the court and more invested in your class, you know, for the rest of, for the rest of, of the semester. If you kind of, if you as a teacher, if I as a teacher can keep up that relationship, right? Um, I also believe that, you know, keeping clear and high expectations for them. Um, they, I think that they have to really know that that you expect this from them, right? That you can be a flexible person and you can understand when they're struggling or they're, you know, they're falling a little bit through the cracks and they need, they need help to get back up, but that you still expect from them this much because you know that they can get there. And I would say another one that I, that I really think it's one of my go-tos is to let them know that you know that they have the capability to do the work whether that's to write 10 sentences or that's to write an essay or that is to record themselves and or record their voices or do this project or whatever, or express themselves in paper um, about something pers very personal. And just to kind of let them know that they can do it, you know, just to kind of help them build that confidence that sometimes they lack or they think that they don't have. But if they know that, if they see and they know that you believe in them, then they can, it's kind of like the only thing they need to hear for them to take on and do it, you know? And all three of those things that you mentioned just sort of like 
work hand in hand with one another, right? Like one helps support the next, you know, the high expectations is supported by the relationships and the relationships are actually supported by um, the high expectations and that confidence building and just belief in the students. So love those three engagement strategies, Kayla. Um, you mentioned earlier that um, PBL was something that you sort of embraced right away and that you have found lots of success with. Do you have any examples of some successful projects that you have gone to that um, maybe could be some of your favorites? I do. I um, The very first one I did was um, I actually took from one of those exemplars that we sent, we get sent on a weekly basis from uh, from the PBL website. And I just kind of tried to adapt it to, to Spanish, to, the, to, the, to my target language. Um, the students had to create an app um, that would, that whatever app they wanted, that of, of the topic of their interest, but then the whole project of how, you know, how they, how is it that they can create it? What's the design going to look like? How much is it going to cost? Is it, you know, is it going to cost? Is it not, is it, um, is it not going to cost? And uh, that whole entire process was one of the ones that um, that was one of my favorite projects because the kids, the kids did really well on on the project. And I don't know if it's because they really liked the idea of just creating the app. I'm not too sure what they did because they had to do the whole thing in Spanish. They could do the research. I let them do, and this is for level three, Spanish three. They I let them do the research in English and everything you know and the interactions that that we had together or when I brought in other teachers to help me give them feedback midway in the process they could ask some questions in English and and you know receive feedback in English but their final product had to be all in Spanish and I even had them prepared a few questions that the panel was going to ask in Spanish so that they could answer just a few one or two sentences in Spanish um, so. That was a very, very successful PBL that I really liked and that I always remember. Makes me kind of want to dig into that because like there's um, interesting tech stuff that could happen. And I always find like creating something such as these podcasts or videos or whatnot to be kind of motivating to have like a really um, tangible and final product that other people can see and use and sort of enjoy, right? Yes, it was really nice because they did, um, they created their visual and that's what they presented. Um, and back then when we were doing that, we were still using, you know, paper and cardboard and stuff. And I think that if I would, I were to do that again today, I would probably have them do it all digital, which, you know, the color would be even better and things like that. But we did it, we, the presentation was kind of like Shark Tank style. And back then, JP was still here, and um, he was part of our panel, and we put the music on for them when they were entering, just like the Shark Tank, and it was just, the whole mood was really, really cool. So the kids really got into it, and you know, they were nervous, but they really rose to the challenge, and I, it was really cool to see that, so I just wanted to also add that. Awesome, that's fun. Um, Kayla, talk with me a little bit about equity, um, and from your lens, um, how do you provide um, an equitable education for your students and what does that look like for you? I really like the image that sometimes we see in some of these trainings or even if you Google equity and you'll see um, how they adjust a little kind of like a little box for people, you know, right? Like the adult and then the, the teenager and then the little kid and then they, how the boxes have to be, you know, adjusted to their size so they, they can see over the game. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's that sums it up really nicely. 
because when you have students in your class, they're all gonna be different. They're all completely different. They all come from different backgrounds and they all need different things. And they do not fit in one mold ever. And I, I think I learned that really, really early in my career. Um, when I started to, to learn a little bit more about, you know, who they were, where they come from, what they need. Um, and obviously that learning curve, right? And that spectrum of you have the kids that, you know, that, that are going to get you right away. You have the kids that are going to take a little bit more time. And then you got your kids that really, really need you, right? They need you to almost like be there all the time with them hand by hand through the whole lesson. So I think that providing an equitable education for them would be just to first of all, identify your students, right? And you really, it's, it's even hard to group them, like in your mind, right? You're not literally gonna group them by skill or anything like that, but it's very hard to think to, to group them or to categorize them. You really have to look at them individually and see, well, you're here, and then how do I help you get to here with what you have and with, with what you know, right? And if I don't know how to help you, I need to kind of kind of go out of my way to find some of the resources that maybe you need because if I because I, I don't have all the answers and I don't have, you know, I don't have all the resources with me, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, as a, as an educator for them, I feel the responsibility to try to reach out to to the particular need of my student and then try to provide that for them. So I I definitely do think the more I teach and the more I, um, I dive into my career, I see that it's, it's, it has to be more individualized um, without segregating everybody, anybody, right? With not everybody, but anybody. Um, obviously, treat them as a group, but every single student needs something different. And that goes back to sort of your strategy that you mentioned earlier about the relationship building. Like the only way that you're going to know what people really do need is if they trust you. And the only way for them to trust you and share is if you have those relationships built. Yes, I, I think so. Um, Tell me a little bit about uh, remote learning for you. I know it's been since last March. Anything that you've learned um, along the way of things that might work in a, a world language class? Having the students go on their breakout rooms is something that I've, I have found that it's, it's been very beneficial and very useful for, for my world language class. Um, we definitely, we need the kids to, to communicate and, and practice their, you know, practice speaking, practice reading with each other. And the only way I could achieve that is by using the breakout rooms. So that has been a tool that has been very helpful during remote learning now. Some of the things that I, that I have found in this very short time that we've been in remote and that I have found a little bit of just kind of like consistency has been, um, just to let the kids know that I care that they're there. Um, I think that that has been really big because um, if they don't know that I care that they're there, then they don't show up to my Zoom call. And I mean, we, we don't even have to get into the whole deal about their cameras, right? Because um, the, they don't feel, I don't know exactly, like again, going back to the, the equity, the equitable piece, um, everybody is different and everybody is living through a different situation, but, but at least if I know that they get connected and they are listening to me, then I know, they know that I care, 
So then I tell them, I make sure that I tell them that they, that I care so that they are there. Um, and I try to check in with them every, ever so often and every once in a while, you know, I would call them by their name and then I would say either unmute or, you know, use the chat and let me know that you're listening, that you can hear me. Or I would ask a specific question to that person so that I know that if they're listening, um, that's one of that has been one of the biggest things. Another thing that I've found that it, it has worked for me is just kind of having the agenda and having the agenda and having the expectation of them being in the Zoom every single time. Because that consistency has been giving them as well uh, some form of routine um, in my class. And so I try to put the agenda the day of so that they don't they don't kind of get a little bit ahead of me or it's just timing wise, it's kind of like I need you to be, I need you to connect with me at this time and we're all together during this time and then then off you go, you know, independently. So so I would say those three things. I would say let them know that I care for them. The breakout rooms are such a great tool and uh, the consistency. It's hard for me as a teacher right now. I need to be very honest. It's been so hard to teach this way. I, I don't always have a good day. I've, my bad days have been really bad. But even in, in those really bad days, I get up, I, you know, I do the Zoom, I do the agenda, and I'm there, you know, faking it till, till I'm making it. So, <laughs> so that's pretty much what has been working for me. I really like both how these are connected to a lot of your other answers and and also I really really like what you said about the um, the consistency and that routine and I know that things are not normal and we can't pretend like they're normal but I think a lot of students do really appreciate um, still that ability to have something that's predictable have something that I, I know that I, when I log on today, I'm going to be able to see Ms. Castorina's face, and I know that she cares about me, and she's doing what she can to break down those walls, because that's what a lot of our kids are craving right now, is that human to human connection, right? Right, right, completely agree. Um, anything um, that you're really focusing on this year for yourself that, um, uh, instructionally speaking? I feel like I'm, I'm getting a little bit better at solidifying uh, just kind of like organizing the agenda and just the expectations because in my agenda are my expectations and the kids know that um, and just having that aligned for every class has been very very nice before echo and before before remote learning I would say pretty much before remote learning that that wasn't really aligned in my class I would I would always have an agenda on the board but then most of them were already doing agendas with a, in other classes in Echo, and I wasn't. I that wasn't solidified for me at that moment. So now that I'm doing that and and things are more aligned, I think that it's better for them as well, because now that consistency again has been helping them a lot. Um, in my instruction, it's been hard to try to be able to do the things that I did, and I think that's where I'm struggling the most because my class is so interactive they're with partners they're with groups of four they're you know um then they come and present and or they or we present in a big circle and then we kind of like 30 minute presentations and then we switch and because it was so interactive trying to do that remote and obviously you can't but just trying to get myself out of out of that mindset had has been very very difficult so just trying to 
to, again, using those uh, different strategies that we've seen in PD with, you know, with you guys um, and, and, you know, in our staff meetings or in our PDs and just trying to implement it, though I'm not as fast at learning, <laughs> but um, I'm just really focusing on trying to be very effective using those strategies um, online because before I wasn't really using any any online strategies. I mean, like I said, not even the agenda on Echo. I wasn't really solidified there either because I was spending a lot of time with them in class, you know, just doing all those in different interactive things that I've that I think that I've become become very proficient at them over the years. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely a huge learning curve for for everyone, and I feel like we're we're all light years um, from where we were back in the spring. <laughs> it was like thrust <laughs> upon us, but now we're yeah. slowly getting there and figuring out what's what does work and what is effective to get kids, um, you know, collaborating and engaging and um, and all of it. So, um, anything you're excited about looking forward, either for the spring or even beyond. <laughs> um, no, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not excited for, for anything because um, I'm having a hard time looking into the future, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Everything has been so unpredictable that to me, just looking at, even looking at next semester, I'm, I'm getting there like for January and February, but then I can't really see past February, um, if that makes any sense, like I just, I'm just trying to kind of survive right now and trying to, 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 to figure out how to be able to do my, my class effectively, you know, online. And if we do go back to this, to the building, then that's going to be another thing that we would have to kind of adjust. Right. But I, I, I so very much admire the teachers that are able to plan ahead. Like I know, I know a lot of teachers are, are like that. A lot of, a lot of people just kind of have their whole year planned and they have everything lesson plans and and like this vision of just like being ready for the next year when we still have another semester to to you know to go by i i really i can never really do that and right now much less with you know with so many changes and so many things that i have to to learn and and kind of adjust i can tell you though that i do look forward to to next year I know I don't know what that's going to look like for me or for for anybody, but I I am looking forward because I feel like um, things will be a little bit probably a little bit more normal and uh, student council we will be able to start you know planning our events and things like that for the school so that I am looking forward to like a return to how things once were right if if that's going to be possible if not at least some some stability right. Mm -hmm. What would you consider to be your best failure? Oh, um, so my best failure. Um, I have I have two actually. Um, I was thinking about this question a lot, and um, there have been so many, but I think that the best ones have been um, when I started teaching. I found myself being way too entertaining and not very serious. And so one day I'm looking at my students' work and then I'm noticing that they're not really learning. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm just 
kind of doing that reflection on myself because I would spend, when I started teaching uh, in Texas, I was teaching mainly heritage classes. So I was able to make a connection with those kids very fast um, because a lot of them grew up there in that same environment where I grew up in. And, you know, for, for a lot of us, Spanish was our main language. So then we were talking all the time, having so much fun, and then the learning wasn't there. You know, when it was time to, when it was time to see, you know, just what they produced and I had to grade it and I had to see their test scores and then I saw their projects and I'm looking and I'm like, they're not really learning, you know, they're, this is not, this is not what I'm, what we're supposed to be doing. So then I had to take a lot of steps back and reflect and understand that I was just, I was just having way too much fun with them, <laughs> just completely off task with what we were supposed to do um, and just not really focused on the academics. And so that was a big slap in the face. I was 23 when I started teaching and, and I just, it, it was, it was kind of, it was kind of like, oh my goodness, you got to mature and you got to, you got to become a real educator. <laughs> so I was, um, that I hope was. you didn't lose all the fun though. I hope that you still found <laughs> the balance of staying fun. clear to me. Yeah. Kids have a lot of fun in your class. <laughs> it's taken me, yes, it's definitely taken me uh, a lot of learning to to try to balance that. I I do consider myself being a um, you know having that fun that fun in the class because if I also feel like if I don't have fun then I'm just I'm just bored and then I I can't really teach. But but uh, definitely I I feel like I have found a pretty healthy balance between you know having fun in the class and also and also getting our work done and, and having the those kids learn. Mm -hmm. So that that one that one was a big one, and then when we at Arvada a few years back, we had UCD um, in our building with you know the interns, and I had an intern, and back then we were having um, we were having the interns record themselves in iPads. Um, you probably heard about this, and that was very that was that was great as a learning tool for us as teachers because I was able to also I believe we had to record ourselves too so then I did that I think I think the first trial we did was with the teachers first and then we had the interns interns record themselves so when that happened um, I was looking at my teaching and, and I was just kind of it, it's so different to reflect on yourself from the things that you know you do versus looking at yourself and actually in motion, because when you, right, when you're on and you're, you turn on your, your educator, right, like your, your, your teacher mode, it, some, some of us probably turn into a different person. And when you, when you get to see that, it's just a totally different thing. It's kind of like watching a movie. And, but it's also like a reality check. It's also like a shocker, because for me, I was looking at my students' reactions when I was giving a lesson. And I just, the expression on their face and just kind of like when I was looking and they were doing everything that I was telling them. And, and I thought, oh my God, are they, are they being compliant? Or I, I'm thinking in my mind that they're engaged. And when I was, what I was looking on the iPad, when I was looking on the video, I'm like, this is not engagement, this is compliance. And that was, that was all, another slap in the face. Cause I'm like, wow, like, I, I'm, I've been lying to myself this whole time, <laughs> you know? 
So that was huge for me when it, when we when we got to do that. So I I told my intern that time, and and we had very very good and very deep conversations about about just looking at those videos when she was you know she's trying to become a teacher, and then I told her about what I saw. We looked at it together and and told her what I you know we were able to to learn so much from that. So. So I thought that that was also really, really good. That's really impressive to be so vulnerable, you know, with a student teacher too, about your, your own practices to be like, you know what, I don't have this all figured out either. And I've just learned something for myself. And that's really good modeling to let them know, like, no matter how much of a veteran you are, um, you know, you're always um, able to find things that you can always work on and grow in and improve upon in our practices. Um, and yeah, it's really hard to watch yourself. <laughs> I've always learned things like I would have never expected. <laughs> no, def most definitely. And, and I tell you, I, to me, just, just a, a reality check that way, you know, I, I'm, I consider it a failure, but I learned so much from it because I don't know how long I had been telling myself that my kids were engaged in my class. And then when I saw those videos, I'm like, they're not engaged. They are doing what, that, what I'm asking them to do, which is compliance. But that's, that's a totally different thing than, you know, versus, you know, compared to engagement. So totally different. Yep, exactly. You know, I, I've been there. I've, I've been at very compliance based schools that when you walk in, if like things are, if they look great, then they are great, according okay. to the people that walk in. But like, that's peel the layers behind because a lot of times when things look a little messier and like kids are actually more engaged than if they're being compliant and quiet and cooperative, you know? Exactly. Most definitely. Um, Kayla, what big advice do you have for other um, educators? I have, I have only one. I think my big advice would be if you really take the time to know the kids' hearts, then you'll love your career even more. I think that's that's really nice. Yeah, and and it speaks volumes to like some of the responses that you've given previously as well. Um, Kayla, thanks so much for letting me sit down and pick your brain a little bit. It's been awesome. Um, talking about all these things about education and I've learned so much about you today that I don't think I would have ever been able to get to know had I not uh, had this podcast going on so thanks for that and I really appreciate like how much you are breaking down the walls to show the students that you know you really authentically care about them you want to build those relationships with them um, you want them to learn, you want them to do, be the best person that they can be. It's really clear um, that your heart is in this job and at Arvada and with our kids. So thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that you're doing, you know, this podcast and the opportunity to, you know, to share my story and to hear everyone else's story. It's just, it's been very powerful, especially in a, in a time like this. I think that this has really helped the culture in our, in our building. So thank you as well. Thank you all for tuning into today's podcast. I want to encourage you to take a minute to reach out to today's guest and make a personal connection. Until next time, this has been Jeremy Jensen with Who's Behind the Bulldog.